welcome aboard the Battleship Retention. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Well, I'm uh, not to put the uh, car before the horse, but uh, I've had, been having a lot of fun uh, thinking about my plans post vaccine. Be they, okay. you know, seeing family, going on vacation or some simple things like, you know, cause I've been trying to go inside places as little as possible. Um, sure. I haven't been doing, I haven't been getting anything dry cleaned. Now the other side of that is I also haven't been going to like events right. where I needed to put on, you yeah. know, I've been wearing my dry clean only clothes, but you know, there's so many things, uh, uh, I've got, uh, uh I'm going to come out of this thing, a different person. I've got, I even got tattoos planned. I'm going to get, do you actually, tattoos. Oh yeah. Yeah. <gasps> Um, how exciting. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to do all this, all this fun stuff. One thing I probably won't be doing, and I wanted to ask you if you plan on doing this. Okay. Are you going to go to San Diego for a fake comic-con? Holy over shit. <laughs> well, of course I should have realized this is what you were going to talk about. Well, <laughs> I, you know, the last, the last year has seen a lot of bad decisions and a lot of bad announcements. This may be among the worst. I cannot imagine that because there, there had to have been multiple people on this committee making this decision. And they all thought, I think we got it, guys. I think we've nailed it. Let's have this during the first major holiday where people like where like families can get together. Because like, yes, Fourth of July, like people are going to there's going to be a lot of vaccinations by then. But, but by the time you get to November, it, we're, we're all pretty much on the other side of this thing. And it's like, what better time to have <laughs> our own, another little mini uh, Comic-Con? What, I, I'm, I was flabbergasted when I read that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it probably was, part of it was probably availability. I'm sure that the sure. convention center is probably booking up um, uh, for post, uh, pandemic times. Uh, so I guess I understand that, but just don't, you, you don't have to do it. Or maybe, maybe, uh, yeah. I don't know, maybe they have to do it to, uh, you know, to make their nut as people say, um, they, they need to generate some income. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I've, uh, look, I love comic-con. I missed a friend's wedding for comic-con once, yeah. you know, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to miss, thanksgiving i'm definitely not gonna miss the first post-pandemic thanksgiving um yeah i guess it's probably what i'm thinking this will be because it's the thing we need to remember and that comic-con international has made very clear is this is not san diego comic-con 2020 right like they're doing another at home edition like they did uh last year i'm sure we'll talk about on the podcast um uh, that was actually, uh, uh, I think, a, a lot of fun. I saw a lot of great panels. You and I and, mm-hmm. and Kyle had great conversations uh, uh, about it. I'm uh, actually looking forward to, to them doing it again in July. This is just a little, a special edition, as they're calling it. A, yeah. a, a one-time uh, thing. Lower capacity, probably. So I think what it'll probably be is, it'll probably be for San Diegans. Is that the demonym for people from San Diego? I think so. Yeah. Um, San Diegans who, who can still like have thanksgiving you know right. with their family and then have a whole weekend free you know um, yeah and i guess i mean i guess people in los angeles just people in southern california in general could do something like that um i myself i, I mean i'm certainly curious 
unfortunately I'm going to be in Minnesota. Like I, I, I literally had the thoughts like, man, if I didn't have a, a family, <laughs> uh, I absolutely would be curious. And then I thought, Oh, I guess they're in the issue. Um, yeah. I have a family as it turns out, a lot of other people do as well, but I'd be curious to go down and see what it would, what it would look like at the very least, as far as attendance goes. Um, and to yeah. see like the kind of panels they have planned. Cause as it turns out, it's also Thanksgiving for the panelists as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm intrigued, but it, I'm also just, again, flabbergasted. I wouldn't, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as say that I'm angry cause I'm not quite as committed to Comic-Con as, as you are, but, uh, yeah, I'm just, but I'm not, I'm not angry either because th- this isn't real Comic-Con. So I don't right. mind missing this. Right. Um, although it does occur to me that I will probably be spending Thanksgiving at my sister-in-law's, which is close to San Diego. So uh, maybe I can uh, there you go. swing. Maybe I can talk Natalie into swinging by on our way back. Hell, if you do this right, you could probably talk your way onto a panel. You could probably have your own panel <laughs> if you do this right. Um, they're just, they'll just be so happy. Someone's showing up. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, that's that's not comic-con faux comic-con whatever you want to call it um I'm calling whatever, it special edition i thought was kind of clever yeah yeah whatever you want to comic call it hey um, <laughs> dumb um uh i want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, today I was using them to listen to a, let's say I listened to a lot of black metal today. Uh, I listened to the new album that I am drawing a blank on the name of the album. Um, oh yes. Okay. So the band is called Mare or Mare Cognitum, which is, um, uh, named after one of the huge, uh, creators on the moon because, there was a time that those big dark spots on the moon that are craters, people uh, who were so dumb, the dumb old people, people from the past thought sure. they were seas, thought they were like big oceans. Oh my gosh. So stupid. I'm so glad most of those people are dead. <laughs> yeah, they're dead now. They're not polluting uh, the species. <laughs> they're too dumb to live. Um, uh, so they named I love them, this so, character. Yeah. <laughs> so mayor or mare or whatever means sea. So anyway, that's what the band is named after one of the seas of the, on the moon. Uh, the new album is called solar paroxysm and, uh, it sounded real great on my tweaked earbuds that are available at a low, low price at tweaked But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension. Okay. It's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Yes, it's the end of 2020, so uh, it's time for us to talk about uh, the the individual achievements of the the year. Do you know what occurred to me? Because uh, I was, as you know, I like to plan 
our episodes like for the next year at all mm-hmm. times like i try yes. to keep keep a plan it occurred to me because of this weird year that we're going to be doing our best of 2021 so far like our half point halfway point of 2021 fairly soon oh boy <laughs> like in in because it's april now so in three months like so here we are doing we're, we're not even halfway through our end of 2020 wrap-up podcast and we're already less than three months away from doing our best of the year so far this is exhausting this, this is podcasting is exhausting now um actually uh, that's not true but yeah, this is, um, this is, I, I should really learn my lesson about this episode because okay. this episode as with ne- see, next week's episode and this episode were both your idea to add to the rotation. Mm-hmm. I'm always excited about next week's episode. This week's episode. I always feel like, Oh, I haven't been thinking like this. I don't have a list like this. I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm not going to know what to say. And then I research and I come up with like a bunch of exciting things that I want sure and that's because the way i do it and i think you tend to do this way is that i take a little bit of next week's episode into consideration with my picks for this week's a little yes yes um and what i will say is you know throughout the year i i update my my bp's submissions uh and then i then i do those i send those in and then i and then when i tally everybody's submissions and it's like, okay, here's the nominations. So then I, I go back and look at like, okay, well, what of my submissions were not nominated? Uh, and okay. I kind of, I kind of go from that. And so what we're doing, we haven't said, but you can see the name of the episode. We're yeah. talking about our favorite individual achievements yes. of, uh, the year 2021 in cinema. We break this down into the category of directing actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, screenplay, just of any kind of any kind and then we each get a a wild card yeah and um the 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 funny thing we did I, we did this last year i can't remember if we did this the past year uh years we didn't go in any order you picked the order yeah at random yeah i just um, jumped around uh so i think we should do the same thing this year are you are you ready to go absolutely and and what i will say is that uh, as i just mentioned like looking at the BP nominees, this is, it is similar to kind of the, the mentality of next week as well. Uh, but I look at the BP nominees and I actively try to avoid them. All right. So like, for example, my choice as far as like individual achievements for best actor would absolutely be Delroy Lindo, like a hundred percent. Okay. But he's nominated for, for a BP. So it's like, all right, well, he's, we've probably talked about him quite a bit already and we could very well wind up talking about him during the ceremony. I don't know, but, uh, but he'll get, he'll get his just like uh, Michael Gambon. So I, so I try to avoid anything that was nominated for a BP. That's, that's what I do. You you don't have to do that. I went a little bit further and tried to avoid things that were heavily in the awards conversation at all to try and, yeah highlight. i think by uh by default i wound up doing that. yeah um but yeah so uh yeah i'm 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 ready to go all right where should we start let's start with lead actress david okay do you want me to go first or yeah you? I, do, I do want you to go first okay uh so yeah that my my selection is a movie that is i'd say good not great but i think i appreciate what it is doing and and often how it is doing it uh, the movie is The Lodge, and the actress is Riley Keough. Oh, I love her. I didn't see The Lodge, but I love her. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and to talk about her performance would mean uh, spoiling a great deal of the movie. And I don't want to do that because the film is worth seeing. Um, and it is, it's one of the movies that I feel like in the last few years, you've seen a lot more, I'd say thoughtful meditation on mental illness and the lodge definitely, I mean, it's a horror movie. And so there's a, there's a certain degree of shock that will always come with that, but it is still actually very thoughtful and explores the idea that mental illness is not as a concept is not something that should be discussed or toyed with lightly. And she plays a, a woman who, uh, I mean, you you find this out pretty early on that she grew up in like a cult and as she got older and got out of it, there was a lot of deprogramming to do. And so she is now past that. She's an adult, she's in a relationship uh, and the, and she's uh, stuck at this lodge with her current boyfriend's uh, children. And the boyfriend actually wound up uh, played by Richard Armitage has to like go work and it's going to be over Christmas. He has to go work and then gets sort of stuck at work. So it's just the three of them. And what, and so essentially it's, it's kind of, we see things from her perspective and you start to want, and some strange things start to happen. You start to wonder is like, Oh, is she kind of slipping back into uh her her sort of psychosis um but and so those moments are very effective but i think i also like even before the threat or the their perceived threat presents itself i'm a big fan of of whether you're playing a character who's like a recovering alcoholic or something like that somebody who has come out of a difficult place there there's a very specific type of care and and uh balance that they that their performance takes on like if the actor seems kind of really understands what this character is dealing with the idea is like if i step wrong who's to say i won't step wrong again and then again and again so i better not and so everything is so measured and so considered and her, so her perform there, there's a heartbreaking quality to her performance as well like you just feel like man because through no fault of her own, because of uh, being raised in this situation, she uh, she's going to be saddled with this the rest of her life. She may even live, go on to live a fairly normal life, but it will take a great deal of effort to make sure that she never stumbles because she's terrified that if she does, who knows where she's going to end up. And it's a really, it's such an interesting type of horror performance. Um and uh, and I recommend the movie in general, but uh, but yeah, her performance really carries it and really kind of sets the the tone. Although the film in general, I think, has a really solid tone to it, but uh, but she really sort of informs how we approach a lot of the material. All right. Well, this is exciting because for my pick, I'm also going with American Independent Horror, uh, and I am picking uh, Caitlin Shile as Amy in She Dies Tomorrow. Okay. Um, she's. I guess the, she's the she of the title, although it could it could actually apply to multiple people in the movie. But I don't want to give uh, the the movie away. But this was I I, I kind of teased on the movie journal this week when we were talking about Invisible Man. I, te I teased that horror acting would come up um, because uh, uh, it's a it's a it's a similar type of thing where Amy Summers has to play a character the the whole movie who knows or at least believe, believes you know for all intents and purposes knows 
uh, uh, we don't know if it's true or not, mm-hmm. but she knows that she's going to die in the morning. Yeah. Um, and um, there's a, um, it's a, it's a physical and facial performance. A lot of the time, it's not like a dialogue heavy performance. It's sometimes uh, kind of funny uh, as um shouldn't be be as a become as a surprise because the movie is from amy simons who is uh not only a, a great uh actor in her own right but uh has always sort of been uh around the comedy uh community um uh and uh and, and, and caitlin child has always been around the she's been around in the indie world for a while she she plays small roles in a a, a ton of movies um you tyler if you don't do if you don't know who caitlin shile is you might remember her as the young woman who gets murdered right at the beginning of your next there's the, oh, the, na- oh, okay. the neighbor's house you know yeah um, yeah uh so that's yeah she she tends to pop up in in roles like that and has for a long time she's probably best known and i never saw this for playing herself in a sort of semi-documentary called kate plays christine which is a documentary oh. about her preparing to play christine Chubbuck, except yeah. they were never the movie she's preparing for doesn't exist. She's just preparing for the role for the documentary. I never yeah. saw it, but it sounds interesting. Um, anyway, uh, but but uh, I don't think because I've never seen Kate, Kate plays Christine. I don't think I've ever seen Caitlin Child uh, in a whole ass movie before because she tends to be in uh, a few scenes uh, yeah. here or there in in her movies. But um, she's got a a uh, uh, she's got a great presence to begin with. There's a reason people are always putting her in. In, in their movies there's a a certain um uh there's a certain resignation to her presence but also it's something that it's not a bummer you want to be around her she seems like interesting and fun but also like over it all the time at the same mm-hmm. time and uh that's obviously an interesting uh presence and persona to put in the case of, in the place of a person who knows she's going to die and uh is uh is she really that that over it is she that jaded is she just going to accept this or is she going to rage against the dying of the light by uh falling off the wagon because she's also a sober character amy uh in 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 she dies tomorrow um uh yeah it's uh um with with move with with types of movies like this, like not just a horror movie, but a very much like, you know, to to sound uh, uh, snobby, like an art horror movie, like she dies sure. tomorrow. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of like beats narratively for her to play. This is a very this is a a, a tone poem to to use another uh, pretentious uh, term. Um, a lot of this movie is about how it looks and feels, and Caitlin Shile as an actress is recognizing that she is a part of that too. She's a part of the, the sensory tapestry of the movie and is using her, uh, emotional skills, her physical skills, her facial expressions, um, uh, to, to aid, um, what Amy Simons is, is, is creating. And, uh, uh, that's the type of acting that doesn't get uh, called out that much. Uh, and uh, this is a great example of it. I hope to see more things from Caitlin Child because I've always liked her when she shows up in one or two scenes in some indie movie. Okay. Uh, next up, we're going to go with screenplay. This could be uh, adapted or original. Um, I went with uh, Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy for Blow the Man Down, uh, a movie that I really love. Um, and that it's not so much that the film 
necessarily surprise me. I had heard a lot of good things going in, but I don't think I was quite ready for, I feel like there were a lot of really good like debuts uh, in 2020. Uh, I'll be mentioning another one later on, but, um, but yeah, uh, I, I really appreciate. And yes, the film tonally obviously owes a great deal to the Coen brothers, in my opinion. But I think that the specificity of this town, the specificity of our two main characters, but also this this little cadre of like older, seemingly respectable women. Um, and then uh, this this uh, other character, this madam, you just get such a sense of place and the way that everybody kind of knows everybody else. They know their uh, each other's business and you get such a strong sense of history of the town and the fact that you can pack all of this in. there are moments of suspense, a lot of moments of humor and that you can pack all of this in to a fairly short film it was like 90 minutes. I think uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, it just shows that they were like really committed to exploring without overstaying their welcome, which is something I definitely appreciate. Um, and and I really like the the idea. I do think that there's a uh, a nice theme there. Uh, speaking about the speaking of like the the seemingly respectable like old women uh, who kind of run everything. Um, I, when I did my my episode of of more than one lesson about it, uh, I talked about how like this idea of seeming uh, moral or seeming respectable and in doing so trying to put everything that either a person or an organization or a country or whatever it is trying to put everything that they are that they used to be or everything that they're ashamed of trying to put that uh, away and act as though it never happened because this is who we are now. And even if that thing that they did was genuinely shameful and, and immoral, whatever it is, that's fine uh, to downplay it and to say, Hey, I've moved beyond that, but to act as though it doesn't exist anymore. And then to look down on those who might still be trying to pursue that. Uh, that's something that I think a person uh, like looking at that and seeing the, the hypocrisy there um, and seeing the, that it, that forces you into a very limited space as a person uh, as far as what you can talk about, what you can't talk about, what you can admit to and what you can't admit, uh, cannot admit to. Uh, I feel like, you know, that's a pretty, uh, again, in the midst of all this, to be able to explore that idea um, is something that I find particularly interesting, especially now as so many people uh, in the U S are talking about what our past was uh, whether it be like, tearing down a monument. And then some people say, no, we need to leave it up so that we can remember it uh, or what it represents as a negative thing. And people are saying like, oh, well, we, we don't want to show this movie anymore. Other people say we do want to show it. Some people say maybe we just have uh, like a, a little message uh, to, con to contextualize it. Uh, and so I feel like all of that kind of comes in, came into play as I was watching the film. And I think there's a, there's a, a lot of complexity to it. Um. Yeah, I don't have much more to say. I'll say this. Uh, yeah, excuse me. Uh, now we're, you and I are both in our late 30s at this point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those like there's those inspirational things like so and so published her first novel, whatever. Like, yeah. And like there's always still time. And it's like um, the older you get, the closer you get. Like those ages don't seem so far off anymore. Yeah. But June Squibb. Sure. Made her acting debut in her 60s. Yeah. 
nominated for an Oscar in her 80s, still works like crazy in her 90s. She's in Blow the Man Down. She's in Palm Springs. She was also in Palmer, the uh, Justin Timberlake uh, uh, movie. Uh, I believe she did a she did a voice in in Soul. I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She did. Yeah. She like. Yeah. Man, she works like crazy. The one uh, I always clung to was uh, Sydney Greenstreet, who played Casper uh, Gutman in The Maltese Falcon. It was his film debut. He was sixty-one, nominated for an Oscar for it, and then went on to be in a ton of things, including Casablanca and all of this yeah. stuff. So well, I luckily, try to. I mean, I try to look at that. Well, luckily, I mean, you and I started Battleship Pretension in our mid twenties, so we're <laughs> we're, we're taking care of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're on easy street now. Okay. Uh, uh, screenplay. So I'm going yeah. with one that, uh, uh, again, I guess kind of like what I was doing with, by picking Caitlin Child is picture is picking a type of screenplay. People don't normally nominate for awards because, uh, there's not a lot of incident to, there's not a lot of, uh, plot to this movie, but I'm, I'm, I'm pick, uh, and now I forgot to call up the, the names of the writers, but I'm picking, uh, Lover's Rock, which was written by Steve McQueen and a co-author, whose name is Cortian Newland. Cortian Newland and Steve McQueen wrote Lover's Rock, which is a 70-minute movie that can be summed up as a house party happens. You know? I mean, there are things that happen uh, within the party, but it's not like... It's not like something like... um, uh, can't hardly wait, which is actually like a really dense screenplay in which all like all of these things are overlapping uh, at a party. This is more like there are long sec- sections that are just people people dancing, you, you know. But uh, there are things that happen, and they happen at specific times. And um, uh, there's a there's a sense of the the of uh, conducting, guiding. I guess, rather than forging, you know, you like, mm. we talk about screen. Well, I guess when you say someone's a playwright, you use W R I G H T, which means yes. builder, like a shipwright. Um, and we tend to think of a, someone writing something as like they're forging it or they're carving it out of, uh, out of, out of stone. Um, Lover's Rock feels like a, a, a screenplay that's just sort of gently guiding things into the areas they need to be in. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it, we'll be talking more about Lover's Rock in, uh, on, on the podcast in, in weeks to come. All right. So next up, let's go with supporting actor. All right. Now, okay. this is, this is an interesting one because this is from a movie I do not like. Uh, very much in contention to be my least favorite movie of 2020. I haven't decided yet. And yet this performance is great. Genuinely wonderful. The actor's name is going to pronunciation might be a little bit iffy. It's Hal Ozen or uh, Ozen from Infidel. Um, a movie that I believe you saw. Yes, I did did see Infidel. Yeah. So he plays uh, sort of the interrogator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really, first off, I think the character's written fairly well. Um, but yeah, this is a film that kind of has a, it has a conservative Christian uh, attitude to it, uh, though I do appreciate that it is as uh, intense as it is. Um, and in it, uh, Jim Caviezel plays this uh, American speaker who is uh, abducted um, f- because he was 
proselytizing on uh, on TV. Uh, in uh, where uh, where is he? I don't remember where he where he is, is he abducted. In, God, I hate to say, I hate to like guess. Is it Saudi Arabia? That's not where he he ends up because he's they transport he ends him somewhere up else. somewhere else. Yes, yes, but I but don't I, remember where I, he starts off. Yeah, but um. I want to say it's like Cairo or something, but I, oh, okay. I might be wrong about that anyway. Um, so the point is he gets, he gets uh, spirited away um, and is essentially in some cases tortured, whether it be psychologically or physically um, by this character who is, he's Muslim. He's a bit of an extremist, but he's British. And you're like, I wasn't expecting that accent. Uh, and the character, I mean, we've seen this type of character before. He is essentially our villain. And yet uh, they really, they really uh, kind of flesh him out in the writing and in the performance. Like he really, uh, Hal Ozen gives a really uh, nuanced performance and, and, and plays this character as, as not necessarily conflicted in his beliefs. That would be too easy, but conflicted in it as in like, this guy that I'm torturing, I don't think I'm necessarily on board with torturing him, but I also don't understand why he's being so damn stubborn. Like the, the, like there's, there's a practicality to the character or a pragmatism to the character that makes him not totally understand resistance. Um, and it's really, I don't know the, uh, in a movie, again, a movie I really don't like, but it would have been so easy in the, in the writing, but also in the performance to just condemn this character and make him just a full on obvious two dimensional villain. But I think that they layer on a level of a level of intelligence, a level of humanity, uh, even if there's if it's a humanity that he is choosing to ignore for the time being. Uh, and yeah, it's I would say that the film is actually again, I don't like the movie, but I'd say it's it might be worth seeing just for this performance alone. It really stuck out to me. My thing about that movie that I've been thinking about is that like, cause it's like, it's produced by like Dinesh D'Souza. Is that right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, his, like, his company. Yeah. But yeah. And it feels like, Oh, we're going to make a conservative version of a movie. But the thing is this type of like, like political thriller tends to be kind of conservative anyway, when it comes to usually, like, yeah, this is not the type of movie uh, it's not like the next one I'm going to bring up for my pick. <laughs> um, it, it, like uh, a movie like Infidel, no matter where it's like, even if it's coming from a Hollywood studio tends to be pretty conservative. So it seems like a weird place to like stake your flag, I guess. I think it has to, I think it's conservative in the idea of the, the Christian Christianity aspect of it. The idea that uh, the, Jim Caviezel, like he's a, an American who gets pulled into this, but there's also like uh, uh, an organization of like uh, Christian, like women, I believe, who are like na natives to that country and have to work underground. And that's like, that's based on a real thing. It's like, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to see a documentary about that uh, or a movie in and of itself about that, uh, a narrative film. Um, so I think it's this idea of like injecting stuff that the viewer may not be aware of that is a real thing and using this kind of, in my opinion, ham-fisted narrative mm. to incorporate these other things that a more straightforward uh, Hollywood movie wouldn't do. All right. Well, my pick, uh, look, 
Eliza, <laughs> Eliza Hitman's never readily sometimes always is getting all kinds of, uh, uh has been getting all, t- all kinds of, of attention. Um, but it's been all for the women, Tyler. When sure. is someone going to stand up for the men in, 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 uh, in American movies? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm singling out, uh, the the one uh boy in the in the girls club of never really sometimes always uh theodore pelerin or maybe theodore pelerin i don't know how okay. you say uh his name but he's a terrific actor he was he's also on the uh uh sadly canceled on becoming a god in central florida um uh the showtime series um which got renewed and then got covid canceled mm. um unfortunately um this COVID cancel culture, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and, and so he plays, so the, uh, the two Sydney Flanagan and Talia Ryder, um, were both fantastic. Both people that I nominated for BPs at least, um, um, have come from small town, Pennsylvania into New York city because Sydney Flanagan's character, uh, is going to get an abortion. And, uh, Theodore or Theodore Pellerin, um, plays the, guy a guy they meet on the bus who kind of ends up in their orbit while they're waiting around for this thing to 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 happen and um he's there i think it's it's really uh right it's a great move on eliza hitman's part um to cast someone as likable as theodore pillaran because there's a version of this character who could be just like a predator that they're just using or whatever. But like he is in the sense, like he's only really hanging out with them because he has the hots for Talia Ryder's character, but also he doesn't know why, like they don't tell him why they're in New York. He doesn't know what's going on for all he knows. They're just coming to New York as like two teenagers, teenagers uh, or, or young adults, like looking for a good time. So he doesn't, he probably doesn't think he's doing anything wrong by putting the, you know, put, trying to put the moves on, on Talia Ryder. So he's like, uh, I, I think he, he, he really, uh, calibrates the character very well, um, to being someone that you're like, uh, uh, the boys like him, boys that are trying to get in, uh, um, uh, a girl's pants all the time, no matter what, are just kind of like a fact. And it's not, he doesn't need to play him as like a lascivious, like, you sure. know, uh, creep or anything. Uh, he's just kind of like, he's uh, for his age. He's just like a run of the mill creep. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that, uh, uh, who's, who's not entirely, uh, he's kind of a doofus probably, but, uh, he's not entirely like, he's not really a malevolent character yeah. other than the fact that sort of the idea that like, um, what he represents is like a societal ill maybe, but he's, he's not a bad guy. And I think uh, it's a, it's a, a great um, performance um, uh, on Theodore Pellerin's part, not wanting to, I'm making the same point, not wanting to play in his villain, but also not like um, apologizing for the fact that he is, uh, uh, can be a burden to these characters. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, the whole movie is a, a, a smart movie does a lot with, uh, with, a with a little in terms of, um, character revelations and dialogue and stuff. And, and he's no exception. I just, I just want to make sure he gets his day in court. I'm just sick of all these women taking the spotlight. Hey, I, I mean, that's the thing is Sydney Flanagan is nominated for a BP. Talia Ryder's nominated for a BP. It's up for uh, for screenplay. 
this guy's not in there at all. Yeah. So I think maybe we should, uh, I don't know. It never hurts to say like, what, what about, what about these guys? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Let's go with director. Okay. All right. Uh, and I am picking uh, a film that, you know, it's not going to be uh surprising to anybody i'll be talking about it in a, in a couple weeks um and that is uh but andrew patterson for the vast of night uh a movie that i that i love and that i wasn't really expecting and surely i i easily could have picked it for screenplay but it's nominated for a bp i could have picked it for actor it's nominated for a bp but he's not nominated for director and um and i do think that like this is a film that uh is it's so self-assured and it is not, you know, this is not a passively directed film as so many debuts can be even genre debuts. Um, you know, the, what he chooses to do with the camera. I mean, we, we see initially, we see, uh, the Jake Horowitz character, uh, Everett Sloan, you know, walking through the gym and, and kind of being this wheeler dealer type, but he's actually just a big dork. Um, and the camera goes with him and it's all very virtuosic and, and, and fun. You get a real sense of, of motion and a real sense of, of activity. Uh, but then there are other moments where the, where the camera will just hold on somebody listening. And actually there are quite a few shots like that and his decision you know, to, uh, of what to show and what not to show, whether it be what's just outside the frame or the idea that we're hearing somebody call into a, uh, this radio show and we never see the person that has called in, but that doesn't mean that we are not devoting a lot of time to that person. And I think maybe one of the things that I most admire about Andrew Patterson's direction is how much he's willing to trust us. Uh, rather than dictate things to us, rather than explain too much, um, even if it's just to show things so that we feel, so it's just like, are we just going to watch this guy, listen to this other guy? Like, I want to see him. Um, he's not assuming like he, and I guess in that regard, he's trusting his actors, uh, to, to sell the inherent interest of this scene or of this story. And, you know, I feel like that's something that you don't run across very often. And, and it's a film that operates at a very, I think a very high level of intelligence, a very high level of mood. And he's able to, he capitalizes on those to once again, like welcome us in and say like, all right, you, I'm assuming that you're looking for a, a well-made, well-written, intelligent film. If you're looking for Independence Day, maybe you look elsewhere. But maybe, uh, maybe even if you like, even if that's what you're looking for, maybe we can win you over. You know, at no point is he apologizing for the movie that he has made. Instead, he's embracing it and hoping, and and maybe even assuming that you will embrace it as well. And that's something that I found very refreshing uh, when I watched it. Uh, I love the movie. And I also, for my pick, I also have one that we'll be talking about again in a couple of weeks, but this one, the fact that this name has not been in the awards conversation makes me think that people who vote for awards don't know what directing is. Sure. <laughs> so my pick is Sofia Coppola for on the rocks. Okay. And I, I, I guess people, maybe, maybe when people think of direction, they think of something like showy or they think of like uh, directing, actors to big like sort of uh uh revelatory statement type of performances but 
to me, directing is especially in this in, in the time we live in now, in which the auteur theory has become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Directing mm-hmm. is everything. It's keeping track of everything, and so yeah, on the rocks might seem like a smaller stakes movie. It's a comedy, you know, it's, 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 it's funny. It seems loose because the characters seem loose, but it's just try to think about how a movie is made. Try to think about all of the different pieces, all of the little Ikea parts with no, there's no instructions. Everything has to be put together separately and then those pieces that put together separately like voltrons i'm doing a lot of uh metaphors sure. uh, here to make something as complete as smooth as as light as uh, uh uh as coherent as fun as on the rock something where every bit of the movie is aware of the rest of of the movie to have a movie that's a comedy but also knows where to drop in the emotion, the, the the big emotional swells, and also knows how to get to them. Knows how to take all. Oh, Bill Murray did this funny thing here, and Rashida Jones did this uh, funny thing here. We'll do that here and build to this door opening, and it'll be a big thing. And all of it is so, so perfect <laughs> that um, I, I feel like this is this is this seems to be, and maybe it's because of the because nobody watches app things that are on Apple TV plus or whatever sure. it's called. Um, but I feel like this is being treated as minor Coppola. Whereas I, I'm not sure I've ever seen her so fully in control of her directorial skills. Wow. Um, it, but it's just, I guess because it's in service of something that your mom would like, I guess is why sure. people are like uh, not taking it as seriously, but um, uh, 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 on the rocks is a, a, a real achievement. All right. Uh, next up, let's go with uh, lead actor. And uh, similar, incidentally, for me, similar to Riley Keough for lead actress. Um, for lead actor, I'm, I'm going with someone who plays uh, a character that has a mental issue. The character is schizophrenic, and it's Charlie Plummer from Words on Bathroom Walls. And uh, Charlie Plummer is an actor that I've only seen in a couple of things. I've always liked him. I've, I, I didn't see Lean on Pete. Uh, I've heard great things about it. I think I would like it. Uh, and here, I mean, this is a, you know, this is a, a very much, it's, I believe it's based on a, on a, a young adult novel. Uh, and it's made very much with that sensibility in mind. It's for a younger audience for whom uh, some of these concepts might, it might be their first time seeing them. Um, so the film itself, I, I really loved it, but it, it still, it's clear like, oh, it, it isn't even really for me. Like it is for uh, a younger audience. Um, but Charlie Plummer, there's a real, uh, real vulnerability to his performance. Uh, again, he plays this character who is schizophrenic. He sees visions of things. They're like sort of like a beautiful mind. There are recurring characters that show up. And yes, sometimes the characters could be seen as kind of like delightful, which I, again, speaks to sort of the simplest simplified nature of, of the way his disease is, uh, uh, depicted. But there are moments where the character, again, he's, He's still, he is still also just a teenager, you know? And so he's trying to figure out 
you know, imagine trying to navigate like a mental illness while still just being a dumb teenager. Like that's, it's hard enough for adults, uh, you know, and who's to say that like, Oh, this thing that I'm feeling, is it my, is it my mental illness or is it just me being a teenager? Is it just me being, you know, being full of hormones and not knowing what to do with them and that sort of thing. So, uh, that's one of the things that I like is that he, he's trying so hard to conceal his illness from other people. Um, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't like it's, it's a character who like Riley Keough is constantly trying to appear a certain way. Um, but in this case, it's not because something's behind him. It's because it's always there and he just is trying to contain it as much as he can. And he knows there will be moments when he won't be able to. Uh, and so there are times when his character has to just be completely just out of just out of his mind and you you cannot be a self-conscious actor and play this type of role and for a character who is young like charlie Plummer, you know i've seen younger actors play scenes where they have to be big and you can tell that they're they just don't quite know how to do it they can't really let themselves go to the degree that the character requires but here he's able to do whatever the character needs in that moment. And not everything is going to make sense from an acting standpoint. Like it's like, Oh, well, how did, like, how am I going to be able to build from this to this? It's like, there is no build. It's a break. And you just need to be able to do that. And, and you need to commit to that break completely as an actor. And he does. And I think the movie in general is, is very, very good. Um, but uh, but with a lesser actor or, again, a more self-protective actor, I think it wouldn't be as effective as it is. Uh, all right. My uh, pick for lead actor. Uh, this one, it is beyond me why this movie is not talked about more. I guess I'm just all alone out on and. Uh, 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 an ice flow uh, uh, defending the, or, or talking about this. None of you defending because no one's even talking about it. But my pick is Kevin Costner in Thomas Bazooka's Let Him Go. Sure. Uh, and this is one. Uh, so I, in doing this list, I intentionally didn't want to repeat movies. Um, okay. So I, I could just as easily have picked Diane Lane, but I just wanted to highlight Caitlin Child. You know, sure. you know? but so th- both lead performances and, and let him go, and it'll be the same when we get to supporting actress. Both the supporting performances could have been uh, my pick, but uh, both lead performances are are great. I'll I'll pick Kevin Costner because I already talked about Caitlin Child. Um, uh, it's uh, it's uh, I guess I like again speaking of Caitlin Child, I like performances of few words that say mm-hmm. a lot um kevin costner is you know it's a uh i think the movie qualifies as a western even though it takes place in the early 1960s but it still has a western type feel he's a uh, uh retired sheriff uh and he's a very taciturn uh man and also he's grieving he and diane lane are both grieving um i don't know if you know the story of the I don't. tyler so um he's a retired sheriff uh uh, his wife uh, is uh, Diane Lane. That's not her name in the movie. Um, never gets old to me. Uh, they have uh, at the beginning of the movie. They have an adult son who is married. They uh, uh, he and his wife have a, a a child, and then very suddenly, very early on in the movie, their son uh, dies. And then we jump ahead a few years. The the boy is like a toddler now, now and the their daughter in law has remarried uh, a guy who's. Uh, not so nice as their son was and he's taken their daughter and grandson 
across state lines to live with his family and uh, his mom uh, played wonderfully by Leslie Manville as a, uh, a real uh, terror of a mother. Um, uh, and so uh, Kevin Costner and Diane Lane set out to uh, track down these people and try to convince this woman to leave her abusive husband and take their grandkid back with them. That's the, 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 the premise. Um, so what the movie doesn't say, it's obvious what the movie doesn't ever come out and say to its credit is that, um, part of this, the fixation on their grandson is yes, because it's their grandson and they love him, but it's also because they're not talking about their dead son. Like they're, um, they're, they, they seem to be, they love each other deeply that it's so clear how much both of these characters, uh, love one another and yet they're not talking about the thing that is that they're the this this emotion that they're sharing they seem to it seems to be too painful for them to actually talk about the fact that their 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 son is dead and uh i'll highlight because i'm talking about kevin costner i'll I'll highlight one scene in particular in which they have a sort of um the rare sort of light moment in which they're talking about a horse that they used to have and then Diane Lane, her memories of the horse start to turn a little, like bring up some sadness. And you realize yeah. like, oh, this horse is another thing like the grandson. It's a way of them to talk about their son without talking about it. But as Diane Lane tells the story and you see Kevin Costner reacting to it, going from I was sharing a warm light moment with my wife to this is sad to, oh God, I wish I hadn't asked this question. And yeah. all of this is happening just on, on his face uh, is uh, that scene. Um, I think of it as the strawberry scene because that the horse's name is strawberry. Uh, they're talking about is if we did like the AV club did like best scenes of the year, that sure. would be on my list of the best scenes in any movie in 2020. Hmm. All right. Yeah. I, I, I think Kevin Costner is one of those actors that, I mean, he was a perfectly, he was perfectly good when he was younger and dances with wolves and JFK and various other things, field of dreams. Uh, but I think he's, he's gotten, I think more interesting as he's gotten older and that's, that happens a lot to, to uh, actors yeah. and, and actresses. It happened to Alec Baldwin and then he kind of became insufferable in some ways. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. There was that, that moment where Alec Baldwin really like aged into his perfect, like, He's yeah. perfectly seasoned for a little bit there. And that, maybe that's where Kevin Costner is now. Maybe. Yeah. Um, okay. So next uh, we're going to go with the, I forget what you, what you called it. Uh, I was, I, I, I call it miscellaneous wild card. wild card. That's a good, that's okay. a good name for it. Uh, so yeah, uh, this is where we can pick any category. Uh, just whatever jumps out at us. Um, and mine, I, for best, best or whatever you want to say, just for score, original score. Once again, there's going to be a pronunciation issue. It's Francois Tetaz uh, for Judy and Punch, uh, a movie that very few people have seen um, and not a lot of people like, but I love. Yeah, we are. Talking about we're it. definitely going to be talking about it in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, and I, th- but I do think that uh, one of the things that immediately got me to like it because one of the I think before any character is introduced you you hear this score and this score and you know this is not a, a light compliment it is not quite the ravenous score oh okay it's up there as far as just audacity 
like it, whether it be instrumentation or just the, or the, the score itself, um, just Francois Tatas, it just, he, he really just goes for and creates a, a, a horror score that also sounds kind of silly at times. Like you can tell, like this is not going to be a standard horror or suspense or period piece or whatever the hell you would even classify this movie as. Um, and and it's it's the kind of score that is not that is not content to just kind of fade into the background and just be you know wallpaper. It's up there to me with like uh, like the hateful eight or something like that. Like I remember uh, you know as you're as as the camera is like pulling out uh, on this uh, snow this stone cross that's covered in snow in the hateful eight and uh, any more Coney's uh, score is playing like and it's it's not a passive score. It's like right there insisting uh, that you hear it. And that's how I feel about the Judy and Punch score. And it really sets the tone for this movie where there's a sense of dread. There's a, an, an ominous quality to it, while also a certain degree of playfulness, which is absolutely the, the movie. And uh, I'm I'm tempted to send you uh, to essentially because you're going to be editing this to send you a track. Uh, oh. And so people can hear it. Uh, in fact, let's do that right now. Wasn't that great, David? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I trust that it was. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and so it's it's the kind of thing that uh, you you can't listen. Like there are some film scores that I will like throw on while I'm writing because they're they're they set a mood, but they also aren't going to intrude. This is not that this movie intrudes. Uh, sorry, this, this score intrudes. Uh, but in, in my opinion, like the best possible way, I really adored it. All right. Well, speaking of, you said something about the, it being hard to classify. Speaking of hard to classify the movie, bloody nose, empty pockets. Sure. It's so hard to classify that I'm not even sure what to call the award. I guess I could call it best ensemble. Okay. But really what I'm talking about is just, the entire effort of making something that is both a real and natural documentary, despite the fact that its premise is entirely invented. Um, uh, I'll again, uh, I said, I talked about it last week, but for people who don't know uh, what bloody nose empty pockets is, it's a documentary about the last night of a dive bar before it's going to close. And all the regulars have come out to spend their, the last night there and have, they have a little party and everything, but, um, uh, and it's, and it's in, it's in Las Vegas, but in, in reality, the bar is still open. It's not in Las Vegas. It's outside New Orleans um, uh, or in New Orleans. I'm not sure uh, or, or around there. And um, mo but most of the characters are essentially paying, playing themselves. The Ross brothers um, sort of auditioned people, like sort of found essentially bar flies they liked and then told them to bring their friends and then kind of told them what was happening and everyone just like goes along with it. Uh, some of, you know, some of them are doing more of like a, a, uh, playing up a, a character a little bit. Other people are just like, these are probably the conversations they'd be ha having, um, uh, uh, wherever they were, whether there were camera cameras rolling, whether it was last night at the bar, whether it was New Orleans or, or Las Vegas. Um, this is, this is the same thing, but, um, the the general sense of i guess not breaking kayfabe uh in in wrestling terms is um i don't like pro wrestling but it gives us a lot of terminology that i like to use kayfabe heel turn put over like i, I sure a lot of very useful terms come out of pro wrestling um anyway um uh, the, just the, the, the spell is never broken. And, um, I, I wanted to create a, a little ensemble award for all the drunks in, uh, bloody nose, empty pockets and the bartenders who are probably drunks, uh, too. I like some, cause I, I, I mentioned that a lot of them are the same, same conversations they'd be having otherwise, but the daytime bartender, uh, cause there's two bartenders is the first half of the movie when it's still daylight and they switch shifts and there's a different bartender for the second half, the daytime bartender, um, Cause they've got, so on the new, on the TV, they've got Lo Las Vegas local news playing. That's part of what the, uh, how they sold the scene. And the bartender says something like he's looking at the news and he's like, he's like, uh, this town's over, uh, fucking Celine Dion can have it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I liked that, that, uh, that, that part, that's a bit of improv on, 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 on his part. Uh, uh, and it's, uh, one of my favorite lines in, in the movie. So, uh, yeah, best ensemble, best kayfabe, whatever you want to call it uh, yeah. uh, for bloody nose, empty pockets. Yeah. I don't think a category exists, <laughs> uh, for what that is. So it truly is uh, a wild card situation. Um, okay. So the last category is you sound like a professional announcer there. 
Oh, did I? What did it, I? Uh, just like just the way you wrapped it up, you put a button on it. That was uh, I shouldn't be calling it out. That's uh, yeah, unprofessional. But uh, no, I didn't even realize I did it. A wild card situation. <laughs> That's true. I guess I did kind of say it like that. It truly is a wild card situation. Um, okay, so uh, <laughs> oh, I feel self conscious now. Um, okay. Uh, so yeah, the last category is supporting actress and uh, my selection here. I am repeating a movie is Margot Martindale for blow the man down. Um, I love this. Perf- First off, I've liked Margot Martindale for a very long time. And, uh, and I love when she gets to play a character like this. Uh, she rarely plays a character that is like forgettable. Uh, you know, I, I like how well she's used perhaps best used in Bojack Wait, Horseman. Maybe she does play characters are, that are forgettable and she's so good at it. That Fair you enough. Remember. You got me. You got me. Yeah. She's yeah. She does background work. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, you know, it'd be, it's easy to see her uh, as a villain of sorts in the film. She is certainly an antagonist at times, but then so are the more respectable women as well. In fact, like she's seen as sort of the town antagonist because she's like this madam. Uh, and the fact that this, this uh, brothel is still open is something that people are not thrilled with. Uh, and she's very, she's very cutthroat, but she still has a sense of, of uh, she still has a sense of, nostalgia for how things used to be and the, and, and when this brothel started, like this is how we started it. And so I do like that there is on one hand, on one hand, she sees herself as a businesswoman because that's what she used to be, but she's not doing anything differently. The town just moved away from her and, and sees her as uh, a, a criminal, a ne'er do well, whatever you want to say, but she has not actually changed. Um, but of course, when everybody moves away from her, then her her attitude, her personality changes, her her stance towards everybody else. And so, you know, there's a there are times when she's very curmudgeonly uh, in, in a delightful way. She's certainly magnetic uh, and very charismatic. And then there are other times when she's very subtly threatening. Um, and I like that all of this is, is, and you get a real sense of, of history and you also get, a, you know, we have an idea of like, you know, uh, obviously, uh, there, like the idea of, a in real life, a pimp is a, it can be a very horrifying thing, but we have an idea of like movie pimps, um, <laughs> as far as like the way they carry themselves, the way they dress. Uh, we don't really associate that fully with like the madam, but she's playing that a little bit too. Like the way she dresses, the way she carries herself. Uh, and it's just such a fully developed character and that she can be, you know, at times over the top, but she's over the top in a way that I absolutely believe a person can be. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, again, it's just, it's just the latest in a series of marvelous performances by Margaret Martindale. All right. And then I'll take us home with uh, my pick for supporting actress. And again, this is uh, like I said, with, with let him go, I could have picked uh, Christopher Abbott for supporting actor for this, Mm -hmm. but I'm going with Sarah gate on it's for black bear. Okay. Which uh, um, the easiest, uh, simplest way to look at it is that, that this is a challenging dual role that she's playing two parts uh, in this movie. There are uh, 
other reads you could take on what's going on that I don't want to like give mine because uh, I don't think a lot of people probably haven't seen Black Bear yet. Um, but uh, in 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 one role in the first half of the movie, she's playing uh, one of the two people in a very unhappy marriage, and in the second uh, part, she's playing someone who is sort of because of her job caught between two people in a very unhappy marriage um unhappy marriage seems to be uh uh the common thread uh in 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 black bear but um uh again yeah like like i said with with how good diane lane is in in let him go um you can't really especially in the first half of black bear you can't uh talk about how good sarah gaden is without talking about her chemistry with christopher abbott um and uh the way that they um the way that unhappiness in a marriage or in a relationship comes out by people who are ostensibly trying not to like they're in front of company they're trying not to 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 uh reveal how unhappy they are but just like the ways that she keeps like disagreeing with like well like that's not <coughs> Uh, that's it's not quite true you know and like sure. the way that those things the those things keep uh 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 keep keep coming out um is uh uh the the scene between her the scenes between her and christopher Abbott in the first half are um uh are really great two-handers and, but in the second half of the movie she's uh more on her own um <laughs> as she sort of realizes uh uh without having made the decision to take a side between this uh, in uh in this unhappy marriage she has positioned herself on on one side of it and is realizing the damage that might have done and uh um <coughs> that she can't necessarily uh, uh undo it there's a lot uh it's a lot going on behind her eyes uh which is easy to tell because she has very big eyes um if you don't know who sarah Gaden is she's the girlfriend and enemy the Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, okay, dual, yeah, yeah. Challenging dual role, but she's been in uh, a bunch of stuff, including she played. She can't um, get away from these dual roles. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, she starred in the Netflix miniseries Ali, Alias Grace, which okay. is uh, based on a Margaret Atwood novel that my wife read. Um, but uh, yeah, that's. I think that's our our list. I think we did it. Yeah, I feel like uh, you know, um, is a pretty uh, pretty eclectic mix of things. And so I feel like, uh, as is often the case, I'm always excited when I feel like people could come away from an episode with like a lot of movies that maybe they haven't heard about or haven't heard much about. And they're like, well, I guess I better get on top of that. And I would definitely recommend, uh, many of these films. Uh, obviously infidel is not a movie I love, but I'd say, yeah, give it a watch and enjoy that performance by Al Ozone. Anyway. Um, okay. So yeah, that, uh, let's see. What is, what is next week? Next week is, uh, next week is through the cracks. Through the cracks. As, That's maybe, right. as much as I love doing our gargantuan top 10 episode through the cracks might low key be my favorite episode we do every year. It's, um, this one's going to be tough for me because I've seen so few movies, yeah. uh, from 2020 because I'm busy rewatching movies, which is stupid of me. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so you you could just blame it on your kids, right? I can blame it on my kids and you've got that excuse for 18 years. Don't like, I know, but I, I still feel bad. Um, and admittedly, yeah, like there are times when it's just like, if I have time to watch something, 
it's not, I, I rarely have two full hours. So it's like, all right, well, I guess I'll watch TV. And even then it's like, okay, am I going to watch something? I'm exhausted. Am I going to watch something challenging or not challenging? The answer is usually not challenging. So it's either Simpsons or tiny house hunters for me. Uh, but, uh, but we're running out of episodes of that. So we're going to have to find some other, uh, TV bullshit to watch. Um, but anyway, so yeah, next week is, uh, through the cracks. So we'll see how that works out, Yeah, but it is, uh, it can be a lot of fun. Until then, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. You can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at DaveyPretension. Uh, once again, I didn't review anything. I went from like reviewing everything for like five months straight <coughs> to like not having anything to do. But hang in there. I should have a review of Voyagers coming up next week. Uh, Neil Burger And feel free, to, feel free to uh, check out uh, the BP nominees this year. Yeah, there you go. Um, so uh, that's me. You can find Tyler at Tyler Pretension on Twitter or at More Lessons, which I forget to uh, say. Right. Um, do you have anything to plug, speaking of more than one lesson? Yeah, just uh, to remind everybody, uh, there is a, a new episode. I think at this point it's like a week and a half old, but there's a new episode over at More Than One Lesson about uh, Sound of Metal with the companion film being John Sayles' Passion Fish, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, all right. Well, uh, until then, uh, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.